Shara Bitahon Chovot Alevavot. We're in chapter four. Be'ezrat Hashem, with the help of Hashem, we're going to finish chapter four tonight. So, just to uh, pick up where we left off, we are now going to talk about Bitahon regarding the reward for mitzvot. Ve'habitahon Alelohim. Now, reliance on Hashem. Ve'mashiyadbo Asadikim. Migemula Olam Azev Olam Habal Aboda. Regarding the rewards that Hashem promised to grant the righteous in this world and the world to come. For, for when we serve him, right? For the service of the Sadiqim to Hashem. That is trusting that Hashem will grant reward to one who is worthy of it. And likewise, trusting that Hashem will give out punishment to one who deserves it. Is mandatory for one who believes in Hashem. Wow. So what he's saying here, he's opening, he's saying... In order for a person to truly have bitahon in Hashem and to say he has trust and reliance in Hashem, he has emunah, he has to believe and trust and know that Hashem gives reward to people who do mitzvot and gives punishment to those who sin. And in fact, that is the 11th principle of the 13 principles of faith, of the Rambam. So it's, it's a fundamental idea that a person has to believe that Hashem rewards for good and punishes for bad. Beautiful, simple. Ubit hono ala Elohim baze mehashlamata emunab Elohim. Trusting in Hashem in this matter of reward and punishment is a necessary component of having complete faith in Hashem. Kemoshe katub, the way it's written, right? And, and he's going to quote something now that's describing Avraham Avinu. After Hashem promised Avraham that uh, his reward in this world would be great. He had faith in Hashem and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. Basically, Hashem told to Avraham Avinu at the time, He said, fear not, Avraham, I'm a shield for you. Your reward is very great. Count the stars, so shall your offspring be. Right? Then the Torah continues, and what does it say? He had faith in Hashem, meaning that he trusted that Hashem would in fact grant the reward he promised him. And the verse stresses the importance of this trust, right? Saying that Hashem reckoned it to him as righteousness. Meaning, Abraham was righteous by believing that Hashem would give him what he deserves in good and, and, and stick to his word. And since the verse says, Ve'emin ba'adonai, he had faith in Hashem, we see that trusting in Hashem's reward, which is bitachon, is a component of having faith, emunah. Amazing. So, so, so in a way, bitachon... Is, is important in order to be considered having emunah shelema, right? Usually we believe it to be a little bit separate, right? We say a person could have emunah without bitahon. But what he's hinting here is he's saying technically you don't have emunah shelema if you don't have bitahon. It's like you can't have emunah without bitahon and you can't have bitahon without emunah. Emunah is the prerequisite to bitahon and bitahon is a key component to emunah shelema. Beautiful. Ve'amar and David HaMelech says, right, regarding olam haba and tehimim, luleh, had I not had faith that I would see the goodness of Hashem in the land of life, right? The land of life is Olam Haba in this case. So he says here, David is saying, the previous, the previous verse in Atayim says, Deliver me not to the wishes of my tormentors, for there have arisen against me false witnesses who breathe out violence. And what's the conclusion of this exclamation? He says, had I not had faith that I would see the goodness of Hashem in the land of life, meaning if not for my faith, if not for my trust in Hashem's reward in Allah Habba, all these attacks from all my enemies and these false witnesses would have overwhelmed me a long time ago. So, so, so he's saying here again, David Amnach, he's saying, 
that trusting in Hashem's reward is a part of his faith. The fact that 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 he believed and relied on Hashem to save him, it was emanating from a fact from the fact that David had faith. Excellent. So now Chavot Avot proceeds to explaining how to apply this bitachon, right? How to explain the bitachon regarding the the reward from mitzvot, and. We learned that even in a situation, we learned in the previous chapter that even if a person performs mitzvot, it doesn't earn him any reward, right? Because he owes Hashem more than he could ever repay him. Remember, we said that any reward is actually chesed from Hashem. We don't actually deserve it because Hashem gives us way more than, than what we put in, right? And we also learned that the goodness of Olam Haba is, is, is also a kindness that Hashem basically gives to people who, who, who gain his favor and, and, and cling to him. So even though we're reminding ourselves of this, in light of all this, what is Chovot Avot going to explain? It's really not proper for a person to rely on his good deeds. A person should not assure himself that he's going to receive compensation in this world and the world to come due for the deeds he performs. Meaning it's not appropriate. It's not an appropriate attitude of bitahon to think, oh, my deeds earned me everything I have. So it's like a catch-22. It's like a balance. It's like we have to have bitahon that Hashem is going to reward us from its vote, but at the same time, we can't think it's what we're doing that's getting us the reward, right? Because again, we said a person doesn't really deserve any reward for doing Hashem's will. It's, it's, it's improper to trust that He's going to pay us for our mitzvot. Like a ka'an, it's, it's debt. Like Hashem's paying a debt. No. He says, rather, a person should do ishtadlut. He should exert himself. He should put effort. To fulfill Hashem's will and perform his mitzvot as appreciation for the kindnesses that Hashem gives him all the time. He shouldn't do it out of expectation of a future reward that will be owed to him on account of his good deeds. So Chavot Avot is saying, what's the balance? What's the balance between having bitachon that there's going to be reward from mitzvot? And, and, and not having, God forbid, arrogance of thinking Hashem owes you for the good you're doing and that you're going to get paid for your good. He says a person should do effort to follow Hashem's will and follow the Torah and the mitzvot as appreciation for everything Hashem gave him. Hashem, you give me so much. Hashem, you bless me with so much. You've given me so much. So as a show of gratitude, even though I can't possibly thank you for everything you've done for me and there's nothing I can do to pay you back, out of my yearning and desire to pay you back and show my gratitude, I'm going to do the mitzvot. And now what this person is doing is, is, is applying himself to the mitzvot with gratitude rather than out of expectation of reward. Out of expectation for a future time where God's going to give him something for it or that God owes him something for it. But at the same time, but at the same time, he should trust in Hashem that he will give him reward as a kindness. After he put the proper effort to serve him, to show thanks to the creator, to Hashem, for the kindness he bestows on him. Wow. So what's he saying? If a person is Leshem Shamaim and he's truly doing mitzvot out of desire to show gratitude to Hashem, he can still trust that Hashem rewards his faithful servants as a kindness and that he too will be worthy of that kindness after doing his part to thank Hashem for his previous kindnesses. <laughs> Amazing. 
Amazing. So, so even though we learned that no one can ever do anything enough to thank Hashem for all the kindness, by making the best effort to show Hashem appreciation, he becomes worthy of more kindnesses from Hashem. And that's the bitachon a person has to have. And that's the balance. So it's not that a person has to have bitachon, oh, Hashem is going to give me for my hard work. And No, no, no. The bitachon is having trust that Hashem is going to keep doing kindnesses for you because you're following the Torah mitzvot. It's like a security, it's like a security uh, blanket where you're saying, you know what? I trust in my creator. Hashem, I know Hashem is all mercy, all compassion, all generosity. He's going to reward me for my mitzvot, but the sole purpose of me doing the mitzvot is to show thanks. It's not to get the actual reward that I'm expecting out of my bitachon, not out of entitlement. As it says in Avot, don't be like servants who serve the master for the sake of reward. Rather, be like servants who serve the master, not for the sake of reward. Let the fear of heaven be upon you. So, Chavot Avot is providing a novel explanation from this Mishnah Pirkei right? The principle that one should not serve Hashem for the sake of receiving reward, what does it mean? It means that when doing mitzvot, one should not think that Hashem owes him anything in return. Rather, what we say, one should serve Hashem with the recognition that whatever reward Hashem does give is a kindness, on top of all the previous kindnesses. So we're serving Hashem not for the sake of receiving reward, and that means to recognize that Hashem owes us nothing in return for the mitzvot. And the Mishnah's closing line, which is that let the fear of heaven be upon you, means that although the reward for the mitzvot is a gift, the punishment for the sins is deserved, right? So that's the other way. What we're saying, there's no such thing as uh, unnecessary uh, punishment. If anything that we feel or experience is difficult, it's, 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 it's just. Hashem doesn't, God forbid, do anything that's, that's not just. Um, and that's... Uh, and that's and that's the beautiful uh, and that's the beautiful piece here that we're learning that 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 it's appropriate to trust in Hashem's reward. We should remember the reward is not owed to us, and uh, and if we remember and continue to realize that we're forever indebted to Hashem, we will constantly do the mitzvot out of a sense of gratitude and out of appreciation, which will ultimately um, continue to give us good. And the Rambam also comments on this. He has a different understanding of the Mishnah, meaning on the Pitkavot, where the Rambam says that the word peras reward doesn't mean payment for service. It means a gift, right? It's a gift by the master and appreciation of a servant's hard work. So, so now that Rambam's going the other way, saying Hashem is showing his appreciation to you as being such a good, a good servant that, that he's not rewarding you for your action. He's just saying, I'm grateful for you. So, so the Mishnah is saying that, 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 so according to the Rambam, the Mishnah is saying that a person shouldn't even serve Hashem even for the sake of resor- receiving reward as a gift. So he takes it even further. He's like, forget payment. Don't even expect a gift. You should serve Hashem purely out of love, with zero compensation in any way. And, and the Rambam says that's the ideal way of serving Hashem. But, uh, but as we know in the Gemara, even if a person does think about the reward, he's still considered righteous, right? As long as he's doing the mitzvot. And you work your way to get to the point of, uh, of not thinking about uh, the reward. So now Chavot is going to conclude this section, where he, he talks about a quick comment uh, regarding a person who relies on reward for his good deeds. It says, One of the pious people would say, A person would not attain any reward in the world to come for his good deeds. If the heavenly tribunal would be meticulous with him in calculating what he owes Hashem for all the kindnesses that he bestowed upon him. 
Rather, one obtains reward only through Hashem's additional kindness towards him. Basically, he's saying a person who wants to be very particular about all the good he does and, and expect reward for it, if only he knew if heaven were to balance it against all the good that Hashem does for him, he would realize he really doesn't have much owed to him. Al-ken, Therefore, do not rely on your good deeds uh, to earn you your reward, right? One should not rely on his actions to earn the reward. Rather, he should rely on Hashem's kindness to grant the rewards as a gift. The way David says in Tehillim, When yours Hashem is kindness, when you repay each man according to his deeds. David Amelch is basically saying here that when Hashem repays each man according to his deeds, it is a kindness as Hashem does not owe a person anything for his service. So that concludes this section of chapter four. We're going to move on to the next section because a couple of pages away is the conclusion of chapter four. And then next time we can pick up on chapter five. Big accomplishment. This is great. Okay. Now we're going to talk about the seventh and final category to which Bitahon applies. And it's the supreme goodness of the world to come. So you see, we're in the, we're in the realm of Olam Haba. We just learned about mitzvot and Olam Haba. And now we're going to talk about the, the pleasures of Olam Haba, the goodness of Olam Haba. We now present the explanation of how Bitachon applies regarding the seventh category. This is the category of the supreme reward bestowed in Olam Haba as a kindness from Hashem upon those who are His chosen and treasured ones. Not according to the measure of their deeds, but with an abundance of goodness that is immeasurable. So, the fact that Hashem gives reward is clear that a person who is prepared to serve Hashem with a degree of self-sacrifice, right, that, that's going to be described, can be confident that Hashem is going to give him good. And, and, this, is, and this is where the bitachon is going to, going, to, going to play in a little more, right? Where a person is not expecting or feeling entitled or deserving or, 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 or owed anything, but they have this trust, this bitachon, that, that this goodness is waiting for them should they, should they stick to... Um, should they stick to the Torah and the Mitzvot? And, and just to create some clarity, right? Above, right, what we just said in the sixth category, Chavot Avot basically said that any reward a person receives for his Mitzvot is a kindness from Hashem, right? Because like we said, uh, uh, people owe Hashem more than, than, than we can possibly repay Him, right? So then what's the difference between that level of reward and this one, which is, which is number seven? So here's the explanation. Although it's true that no person can ever repay Hashem for his kindnesses, right? Um... So he doesn't owe us anything for our good deeds. Hashem in his, in his goodness and kindness promises to reward us anyway, right? As if it's due to us. And we receive a share in Olam Haba that is in measure with our good deeds as payment for those deeds, right? And this is the kindness that we discussed previously. It's kindness in the sense that there's no debt, right? There's no... There's nothing owed, but it, it's still directly related to what we're doing, and it's measured in proportion to what we're doing. So, so there's sort of there's sort of a real exchange happening here, where Hashem is actually rewarding us for what we're doing. So our deeds do have something to do with it, right? There is a reason why we do good deeds. Otherwise, why would we do that, right? If we weren't going to get reward for it, why why would we be motivated in the physical realm to do it, right? But the, but the seventh category, which we're talking about now, which is talking about Olam Haba. It's not measured according to a person's actions. This is completely a gift of love because if we're on earth doing mitzvot and learning Torah and we're being rewarded for it, why does Hashem need to give us Olam Haba also? We were rewarded for it. A person respects his parents. Oh, you get long life. Great, the guy got long life. What does he need Olam Haba for? Person kept all the Shabbats, the holidays, the halakhot. Okay, 
He got reward in this world. He got uh, Shavat Nefesh, peace of mind, Shalom Bayit, peace in the home, Parnasah, Beriut, Refuah Shalom, whatever it is. People get rewarded in their own ways. Hashem and His great wisdom rewards each person with something, what they need, right? So why do we need Olam Haba? It's like, it's like you got an ice cream with sprinkles and a delicious cone. What do you need the cherry on the top for? It's not, you gave the person what they needed. It's like, it's a luxury now. You gave them the necessity. You gave them what they deserved, right? Well, even though we said not deserved, I'm just for the sake of clarity, I'm just speaking freely. I'm just saying like a person did his mitzvah, he was rewarded. So, so what's, what's the Olam Haba? It, it, that's the ultimate kindness. I mean, that's really the point that Hovot the Lord is getting to, which is like, if a person dedicates himself completely and wholeheartedly to serving Hashem and loving Him as described, Hashem loves him to a point where Hashem grants him immeasurable reward by having a portion of Olam Haba. Because Olam Haba is infinite. The pleasure in Olam Haba is infinite. So, so that's the true kindness. And, and that's what, what Hovot the Lord wants to highlight in this in this chapter. And that's why it says, It's immeasurable. It, it, it's not like saying, oh, if you do this, you get long life. Oh, if you do this, you get health. Oh, if you do this, you get parnasat. This is, you get olam haba. It's, it's, it's infinite. So it's the ultimate kindness. So what does he say? The appropriate manner of relying Hashem regarding this special reward, right? This special situation of olam haba. That first, a person should engage in the means of spiritual growth that could bring him to high levels of being pious and righteous, like a true sadiq, a true hasid. Who is now worthy of receiving the special reward from Hashem in His kindness. So He says the first step, you want Olam Haba, the first step, you got to put in the work. Try to become the person that is truly worthy of receiving it. And by the way, worthy is a nice word because you're not deserving. At the end of the day, again, nobody deserves this, 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 Unbelievable reward. It, it, it's it's so it's for the perfect. It's for the angels. It's for the highest level. But you could be worthy in the eyes of Hashem. Where if Hashem feels that 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 you're doing enough, where you're beloved by Him, then 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 because so Chavot Lavot saying be, become worthy. Meaning a person should practice the traits of those who exercise perishut. Perishut is abstinence, right? Who despise the unnecessary pleasures of this world. So a parush is someone who, who, who's abstinent. This person basically avoids materialism, right? Gashmiut. And this person, and this is also hasidut, it's the concept of, of, of being pious, is any material aspects of the world, the person either partakes in for survival, like does the minimum he needs to be physically alive, uses it to serve Hashem, Right? Or finds the spirituality within it, but 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 doesn't value the inherent pleasure that's in this world, right? In and of itself, it's 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 the way he elevates the physical for the spiritual. And and this person should learn to banish from his heart the love of this world and his preferences for it. And replace it with the love of Hashem. Now, this is a very, very high level. I mean, we're talking about, we're talking about levels of like Avraham Avinu, Moshe Rabbeinu, the Baal Shem Tov, the Ben Ishchai, the Arizal. We're talking about people that when they ate food, they were literally praying the Vidui and praying Tehillim and praying all types of Kabbalistic uh, incantations and kavanot while eating and releasing the holiness 
and the sparks from the food and trying to make tikkunim in the food. Like, we're talking about people that, that there's no gashmiut, there's no physical pleasures and indulgences and, and any of that. Everything was strictly for the spiritual, right? So you might say, okay, how does that apply to us? I mean, we're not, you know, we're not on that level. We're not eating a piece of, piece of bread and thinking, oh, we're, we're trying to release the reincarnated soul that might be in the bread. You know what I'm saying? So for us, it might mean, no, going to work and saying, I'm going to work in business honestly. I'm going to make a tikkun for business in general, which might have a lot of dishonesty in some cases. I'm going to work honestly in business. I'm going to take the money I earn to buy my wife good things to stick to my contract of the ketubah. I'm going to take the money to give tzedakah. I'm going to take the money to buy the nicest mezuzot and the nicest ulavinitrog and the nicest sukkah. I'm going to take the money. That's, that's the way we need to think here. Ulchimaser elav. And with this love, we should dedicate ourselves to serving Hashem. And to delight in preoccupying our thoughts with Hashem. And to detach ourselves from matter of this world and its inhabitants. And, and it, I mean, what he's, what he's saying here, it's unbelievable. He's saying that we should be so preoccupied. Our minds and hearts should be so focused on Hashem and spiritual matters that whenever we think about the world, it just feels foreign. And... This might sound wild to us, but, but in our own level, we could accomplish this, right? If we get to a point where we're seeing the, the, the great things we have in our lives, we're doing the mitzvot, we're learning Torah, we're praying, we're giving tzedakah, we're feeling good, we're, we're connecting. We might get to a point where when we turn on a movie or a TV show, it feels foreign to us. We're like, wait, we're like, it feels disconnected. We might get to a point where if we walk into a, a club with uh, you know rap music blasting, it feels foreign. It feels what it doesn't feel. I don't. What am I doing? It's not. So we have our own versions of it, right? It, it, again, let me think of another example. It could get to a point where we try so much to work on our honesty that when we tell a lie or we say lashon hara or we say it feels foreign. It feels you feel you feel different. You feel uncomfortable. Uh, said speaking lashonara, you don't feel like yourself. You don't feel like you're in your environment when you hear people talking lashonara or gossiping or cursing, profanity. That's what he's saying. You want to get to a point where you've purified yourself, and anything that's tameh or improper feels foreign to you and feels uncomfortable to you. And uh, and and that's and that's what he's saying here. And. You know, while and this is and this is something that, that that's in the commentary here, where it's talking about detaching from the world. While the prophets and 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 others of old generations, right? Like we mentioned, some of the great tzaddikim, while they were able to completely detach themselves from material matters and live in the spiritual realm, right? Like we even said earlier, Yeshua bin Yehot Tzadak, right? We said he was amongst the angels. And of course, the level described here applies to exceptionally pious people, like. It's, it's, it applies to regular people as well and not even necessarily people that are on the path to righteousness. It could apply to anybody. Um, and, and the only reason I'm, I'm really focusing on this and I'm not moving away from this concept is because we shouldn't... When we read texts like this, it's very easy to see the extreme asceticism, like like the very, what might seem as fanatical withdrawal from the world and say, oh, there it is. See, it's not for me. It's not possible. It's not something I could do. It's not appropriate, Right? So it's not, it's not that we should be extreme. It's that we should take small steps, okay? Obviously, we need to eat. Obviously, the food is usually pleasurable, usually tastes good. Of course, we need to raise a family, and raising a family brings satisfaction, okay? But it's about reminding ourselves when we're enjoying the food, Hashem's sustaining me. 
and we say thank you, Hashem, for the tasty food. Thank you that I have the taste buds to taste it and enjoy. And thank you for not only making it nourishing for me, but making it pleasurable. Um, same thing with raising a family, right? It's not only about raising a family and having pleasure in raising the family, but teaching them the mitzvot and teaching them Hashem's ways, right? Like connecting it to spirituality. Even take marital relations. It's a mitzvah from the Torah. Hashem could have made it uncomfortable and painful, but Hashem made it pleasurable because, because Hashem is, is kind and merciful. Imagine one of the biggest mitzvot in the Torah and one of the biggest purposes to continuing the, 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 the generational continuity of Jewish souls and, 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 and expanding the Jewish nation is, is pleasurable. We have to thank Hashem for that. It's unbelievable. And the same goes for every other worldly pleasure, whether it's physical or emotional. We should, we should take the joy. We're human. We experience it. But channel it properly by, by thanking Hashem and, and, and appreciating it um, for what it is. And by the way, through cultivating this appreciation of the spiritual aspects of these physical things, that's how we will naturally reduce the attachment to the material because we're ultimately going to crave the source, which is the spiritual. And that's where Chavot Levot is describing the replacing, right? Where he says, replace the love of this world with the love of Hashem. It starts by first finding Hashem in the world. It's not about leaving the world. The Baal Shem Tov was very big about the simple Jew because the simple Jew was in this world. But what's the difference? The simple Jew had simple faith. The simple Jew saw Hashem in the world, in the physical world. It's not about rejecting the physical world. It's seeing Hashem within the physical world. And that's, and that's, um, and that's what, uh, what the message is here. And uh, there's a little nice story in the commentary. It says the Chazon Ish was once asked to deal with a newly enrolled yeshiva student who was unable to detach himself from the negative influence of his previous friends, right? Maybe he was about to Shubah. Or maybe this kid was, uh, you know, coming back from uh, a childhood of a little bit of rambunctiousness, and and uh, the Chazon Ish invited the son to his house, but he didn't, he didn't, he didn't even bring up his friends. He didn't. The Chazon Ish didn't bring up his past to him. Instead, he started to engage him in conversation. What are you learning in yeshiva? Teach me something you learned. Give me a chidush. And this young man, this young student, left the Chazon Ish's home feeling proud, feeling good about himself, and. When the Chazon Ish was asked why he didn't bring up the critical subject of the bad friends, which was like the obvious situation of the boy of like, this is what he's dealing with, this negative influence. The Chazon Ish replied, he said, this boy does not yet have satisfaction from learning Torah. Okay? His only joy in his life is his relationship with these friends and, and, and his past and, and, and whatever's left of it. If I take that away from him, he's going to be left with nothing. He's going to be left with nothing. So let me first help him develop a taste for Torah and then we can deal with the issue of his friends. I have goosebumps all over my body. Think about this idea. The Chazun Ish was saying, if I started yelling at this kid about his friends and scolding him, rebuking him, you can't hang out with them, you need to stop it. You know what's going to happen? This kid's going to be left with nothing. He has pleasure from these friends. Even if he doesn't have pleasure, if that's all he has right now, he's going to be left with nothing. But if you give him a little taste of Torah slowly... Let him fall in love with the Torah, the mitzvot. Let him appreciate the sinner. Then you worry about the friends because now he has something else to hold on to. He has something else within him. There won't be anything missing. So that's the whole idea. Before you rip away the physical world from yourself to try to become a, a chassid and a sadiq, add in the spiritual. Add in the ruchaniyut. Add in the ruchaniyut. And then slowly, you add in the ruchaniyut. You find the ruchaniyut in the gashmiyut. Slowly, the gashmiyut will... Will fade away. He will be conducting himself in accordance with the ways of the prophets, right, of the Nevi'im and of the Hasidim. 
and he will truly come to love Hashem as they did. Then his heart will be confident in Hashem. That he will have confidence in Hashem, that Hashem will give him exceptional kindness in Olam Haba, the same way he gave exceptional kindness to the Nevi'im and the Hasidim. And, uh, and this is really the proper way of applying the Bitachon with this reward. So in short, in summary, Hashem basically awards the special level of goodness in Olam Haba as an expression of his love for those who love him and are completely devoted to his service, right? So a person who strives for that level of devotion, of, of having Ruchaniyut and of being uh, attached to Hashem and trying to be spiritual as much as possible, that person can have Bitachon that his effort will be worthwhile because he saw that's what happened with the Hasidim and with the Nevi'im, right? That he saw that they did this and they were granted uh, Olam Haba. And, uh, and, and, and think about what we said, right? We said earlier that the objective of Olam Haba is to cleave to Hashem, right? And bask in his radiance. The physical nature of a human being, our bodies prevent us from doing that. We can't do that in this world because we're physical. So when we make the effort in this world to bond with Hashem by minimizing physicality and increasing spirituality, then as a reward, basically Hashem saying, oh wow, you're trying in this world to cleave to me? I'm definitely gonna let you cleave to me in the next world. In the physical world you're trying to, to cleave to me? Then, 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 then in the spiritual world, um, you, you're, I'm definitely gonna, I'm definitely gonna let you cleave to me. And and Mesilayshanim writes this in chapter one, right? He says that to the extent that someone subdues his evil inclination, his yetsaran, his physical desires, and detaches himself from the things that would distance him from the good, and and, and tries to attach to Hashem, that extent you will achieve the attachment in the next world. Amazing, amazing. So he's basically saying the amount of effort that we put here to attach to Hashem, the more in the next world Hashem will let us attach to him. Unbelievable. However, someone who deems to trust that Hashem will grant him the special kindness without engaging in this behavior of being worthy of Hashem's loving kindness, meaning if somebody just expects it, who haksil He's a fool and an ignoramus. He's basically saying, you're a fool if you think you're going to get Olam Haba and the pleasure that I'm describing if you don't at least make effort to try to get closer to Hashem in this world by minimizing the spirituality and increasing... Uh, oh my gosh, excuse me. By minimizing the physicality and increasing the spirituality. And it's similar to what it says in the Gemara. They perform actions like the wicked Zimri but seek reward that was granted to Penhas, right? So this is actually an upcoming parasha that we have coming up, right? Where we know the story about Zimri, who was the Nasi of the tribe of Shimon, where he sinned with the Moavit woman. If you remember, he brought uh, the Moavit woman to the to the to the center of the town in front of Moshe and and and, and had relations with her. And Pinhas uh, killed both of them, right? Hashem uh, Shamaim and 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 for Kiddush Hashem, right? To to avenge Hashem's honor, he put a spear through both of them, and he was actually rewarded. Uh, by Hashem with unbelievable, unbelievable blessing. So, so what it's trying to say here is it's saying that that uh, you know a, a person who, who who does sin and doesn't try to do good and cleave to Hashem and then expects Olam Haba. It's as if they're acting like Zimri, God forbid, the person that uh, did this big sin, but then expects reward like uh, Pinhas, which which you know the reward Pinhas received is really only for people with exceptional piety um, and righteousness. So, you know, Chovat Levot is just saying to expect it without doing. One's part, you know, to deserve it, it's 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 sort of like an insult to Hashem. It's sort of, uh, it's very uh, appropriate. So, Chavot Avot is now going to point out additional characteristics, right, of those who are worthy of this extra reward in Olam Haba, and then he's going to conclude, and it's going to be, uh, it's going to be a big, uh, exciting close to the fourth chapter. Uh, the identifying traits of the people 
who have reached this exceptional level of piety and love of Hashem include that they teach those who wish to serve Hashem how to properly serve Hashem. Wow, amazing. And they exhibit acceptance of their lot in life, even in times of challenge and distress. Basically, they accept whatever Hashem decrees and, and they remain steadfast in their love for Him and their faith. Um, regardless, right? They believe that whatever He does is for the best. And they view that any action relating to fulfilling the mitzvot uh, is easy to perform. Meaning they love it so much that even the most difficult mitzvot is considered easy in their eyes. So he just says three other things. Let's just recap very quick. He says that a person who spreads the ways of Hashem and how to serve Hashem to other people is, is, is worthy of Olam Haba. A person who has a munash and believes everything is good and everything is for the best, so they accept anything and everything in their lives, even when it's difficult, they're, they're deserving of Olam Haba. And then the last piece is people that are so into mitzvot, just through love of Hashem, that even the hard ones seem easy. You know that these are the traits from historical incidents like the Akedah, right? Where Hashem tested Avraham, right? Hashem basically told Avraham, bring your son Yitzchak as a sacrifice. And, and the speed and excitement with which Avraham set out to do this really showed his pure love for Hashem and showed that his heart was loyal to Hashem, even though it was an enormously difficult mitzvah, right? Like even though this is probably the hardest thing he was ever asked to do, Avraham did it fast and excitedly as if it was easy, right? And he also accepted the challenge with love. He had emunah shalema. Uh, and of course, he also taught uh, the service of Hashem in general to, to Yitzchak, since Yitzchak was willing to go to the Akedah, no problem. So this proves pretty much that Avraham had these three keys that Chovot Olavot is talking about. And the incident of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah being thrown into the fiery furnace, right? This story is, is interesting as well. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Bavel, he basically created a very big statue and at the dedication ceremony, he commanded that everyone bow to it, right? And he said, whoever doesn't bow, I'm going to throw you into the fire. So now you had Hananiah, you had Mishael and Azariah, where they were at the dedication, and they proudly refused to bow, right? Because of their love of Hashem. They wanted to sanctify Hashem's name in public. This was a very, very big uh, Kiddush Hashem. Um, and they were actually thrown into the furnace. Uh, but they were saved. They didn't get burnt. Um, so that's that's another example. He's giving the Daniel Begovariot or the story in the Navi of Daniel being thrown in the lion's pit, right? Um, that that story is, is uh, Daniel. He had a position of authority in the government uh, in Darius, and uh, and other officers were jealous of him, and they knew he prayed three times daily. So uh, they actually convinced the king, these these officers, to decree that for the next thirty days. Uh, whoever makes a request of any god or man other than the king would be thrown into a lion's pit. So, of course, Daniel, you know, didn't care about this decree. He's praying to Hashem. He's, he's going to continue his prayers. He's not going to fall for, uh, for any of this. Um, you know, he showed his unwavering commitment to Hashem, even though there was mortal danger. And uh, they took him and they threw him in the pit and he was saved. The lions did nothing. So that's another example that Achavot Allah is giving here. The Asara and the deaths of the ten martyrs. Um, which, uh, which again is uh, the ten sages in the in the Gemara who accepted painful deaths at the hands of the Romans because they realized that this was uh, this was Hashem's will, and th- and this was the group that included Avi Akiva, right? Um, where not to get not to get descriptive, but Avi Akiva they they raked him, they took iron or metal uh, rakes, and um, they raked his body. They literally raked his body and tortured him, and it was multiple days of raking and. Rav Yaakiva just said the Shema and he accepted Hashem and uh, 
And that was it. And, and, and as he was dying, the student said, how, how, how do you have such presence of mind in this time? And Rabbi Akiva said, no, all my days I've been waiting for this opportunity. I've been waiting for the opportunity to fulfill the word, verse. And you shall love Hashem with all your soul. Meaning he's giving up, he's giving up his soul for Hashem and he's, and he's showing his love for Hashem by, by, by allowing his soul to be taken. And, and, and that's what he told the students. He says, now that the opportunity is here, should I not do it? So he's giving unbelievable examples for us to learn, uh, for us to learn this. And Chavot uh, El then concludes and he says here, he ends chapter four by explaining why such people are worthy of, of this reward, right? Of Olam Haba. And he says, Anyone who chooses to accept death in order to remain loyal in the service of his creator, right? As, as, as we know throughout history, many, many people did, right? When enemies of the Jews tried to coerce them. You have the Greeks in Hanukkah. You have, what about uh, Hannah and her children? That was a very rough story. Um, well, I shouldn't say rough. It was inspiring. It was, it was empowering. It was incredible. Just to give a quick, a quick summary of it. Basically, Hannah had seven sons that uh, the king was trying to force to bow to idols. And one by one, he killed them from oldest to youngest for not bowing. And Hana said, don't bow, don't bow. And he said, oh, just bend your head to pick up this ring. And uh, just bend your head a little and I'll let you live. Hana said, don't do it, don't do it. So they killed the kid. Then this kid, oh, there's a canopy. Just try to walk under the canopy. So you bend your head a little to the statue. No, don't do it. So he's just saying anyone who, who, who's at this level, right, that, that, that wants to, that's willing to give up their lives to, 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 to stand by Hashem rather than to save their own life through being disloyal to Hashem, the Harish Mina Oshed, or who in loyalty to Hashem chooses poverty over wealth, uh, right? Like in a situation where, let's say, like Spanish Inquisition or, or, or in countries where the Jews had to run away, right? They had to run away and give up their possessions and wealth to escape spiritual coercion, right? They, I'm not going to convert. I'm not going to be an idol worshiper. I'm not going to. I'm not gonna gonna serve idols and, and be an idolater. No way. I'm, I'm gonna. I'll leave everything behind. All my money. All my assets. So, so that he's saying this type of person, or even, or even as it applies to us today, right? If a person foregoes an opportunity to gain wealth through dishonesty, like we said, or or forfeits money to avoid transgressing a, a prohibition, right? Like working on Shabbat, God forbid. So he's giving us more examples. or illness over health, right? Like people who who suffered torture until they became sick, or or until they. They passed away just to avoid giving up their faith, like in some of the stories we just heard. Or distress over tranquility, right? And delivers himself to Hashem's judgment and is content with that. Like, like, like this person willingly accepts what's going on in the heavenly decree and, and says, Hashem put me in this situation, whether, whether I had to sacrifice my life, my livelihood, my health, my tranquility, it doesn't matter. If it's for Hashem's sake, I'm at peace with that. These people, this person, all these types of individuals, they're worthy of having the special kindness of Hashem bestowed upon them that they will experience infinite and exceptional sweetness in Olam Haba. Like it says in Mishleh, I have what to bequeath to those who love me and I shall fill their storehouses. Basically, Hashem is going to give them infinite amount of things that will fill more than that's, that's required. Amar, and it says in Yeshayahu, No, I accept yours, Hashem, has seen what he will do for the one who waits him. Amar, and it says in Tehillim, How abundant is your goodness that you have hidden away for those who fear you. Basically, there is exceptional reward that awaits for those that Hashem deems worthy. 
And we learned that, you know, the people that, that are making the sacrifices that we described here would fall under that category. They'd be, they'd be rewarded in that way. And, uh, and uh, that's, that's, that's the takeaway of this chapter. While doing mitzvot, do not earn us reward because we can't actually repay Hashem for his kindness, right? If a person gives up his life or his possessions for the sake of Hashem's honor, that's it. He, he, he's showing that all the goodness in the world means nothing to me. It's nothing in the face of my love for Hashem. And this person truly is worthy of being showered with, uh, with, Hashem's, with Hashem's goodness. And, and we know, we know, we know. A lot of Jews could have spared themselves untold suffering and persecution by just saying one word and accepting you know, their enemies' demands, but they refused to because they'd rather stand by Hashem in the Torah. And, and this, is, um, this is a special thing. So that's how chapter four ends. Uh, it was a long one. Um, I think we should uh, you know, summarize a little bit just so that we can make sure uh, we have the takeaway. I think, I think chapter four was like 10, 12 audios, 10, 12 classes, but, but we'll do quick, we'll do a quick summary here. Basically we said there are seven categories of things that Hashem bestows on people and each has its own application of bitachon. Okay. Health and basic sustenance, right? A person's basic needs are guaranteed for Hashem, uh, as long as we have life, but we do need to put in some hishtadlut to maintain our health and earn our livelihood. Um, and we should realize that that effort will only bring us what Hashem decreed for us. It just makes us a vessel to receive. We then learned with additional income that a person should work regular, right? For the sake of earning the basic livelihood, not necessarily invest extra effort in trying to become rich and just trust that if Hashem wants to send us extra income, he will without our effort. And if he doesn't want to send anything extra, then no amount of effort will make it happen. Um, and the extra income that a person receives, uh, that's, that's, that's earmarked for others. Um, is, 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 is earmarked for others. Basically, it's saying that we should share it with the needy. We should share it with our families. We shouldn't be frugal because a lot of the money we make is also for other people. Um, then we learned about relationships with others, right? We learned that if someone doesn't have a family, you should take company with Hashem and appreciate not being burdened with the responsibilities of a family. If someone does have a family who depends on, on him, then, then we learned that the person should do best his best to willingly and joyfully meet their needs and realize it's a sacred duty and not just try to have authority or honor from them. Uh, and we should rely on Hashem to help us fulfill this responsibility. Uh, and then we learned the other way as well, right? If we need help from someone, we should recognize that the help truly comes from Hashem and that uh, the request will be fulfilled if Hashem desires it so, right? That this person is the vessel and the emissary for it. And when helping others in need, we should be thankful that Hashem chose us to be the vessels to do it, the vehicles to do it, and realize that uh, it's not necessarily us. We're just the faucet that's running the water that's coming from Hashem. Uh, and then when faced with enemies, we learned that we should rely on Hashem for protection and we should tolerate their insults. And we should pray that Hashem forgives, uh, forgives our sins because it's ultimately our sins that are leading people to turn against us. Uh, then we discuss fulfilling personal mitzvot, right? We said there's three components to a mitzvah, choosing in our heart to do it, resolving to act it, meaning thinking how we're going to get it done and then actually carrying it out. We said that the first two parts are completely up to us, right? It's wrong to rely on Hashem to make the decision for us. We need to make the decision to do good. But the third part, the actual getting it done and executing it, the outcome, we need Hashem's help. We could rely on Hashem on that. So we make our best effort. We rely on Hashem to help us get it done. And then at the end of the day, what happens is what happens. And, and we should, of course, pray for Hashem's help in getting it done. Uh, then we mentioned the fulfilling mitzvot, fulfilling the mitzvot that involve only us, right, with personal mitzvot, which we, we learned that we should choose uh, uh, our own mitzvot and, 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 and rely on Hashem to help us get it done. But we should really do it for Hashem. We shouldn't do it for honor or recognition. Um, and it's best to keep it secret.
And then we spoke about the reward for mitzvot, where basically it's impossible to earn reward because we owe Hashem more than he can that than than, than what he gives us. Meaning we owe more than what Hashem gives us because Hashem gives us infinite amounts, so we can't possibly give him what 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 we owe him. And the reward's a gift. We have to understand the reward's a gift, and that's one of the reasons why Alam Haba is not described uh, in the Torah, like we said. So we should do mitzvot more with trust that Hashem's going to give us kindness, but not necessarily that we're owed for it. And then lastly, the thing we just did, right? Number seven, we just said, which is that we should try to follow in the ways of the Hasidim and detach ourselves from worldly pleasures and really try to stick to spirituality and Hashem's service, and then we can be confident that Hashem's going to give us. Uh, immeasurable goodness in Olam Haba. This was a long one. If you're still with us, beautiful. Um, Baruch Hashem, we finished uh, chapter four. And Be'ezrat Hashem, we're going to start chapter five in the next class. Thank you guys so much. And uh, I pray to Hashem that everything we learned in chapter four uh, gets not only absorbed by our souls, but gets acted upon within us so that we can actually actually apply some of these things and, and reach our greatest heights. Um, thank you. Talk soon.